Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Melbourne via live stream on 3CR website and via podcast. Thank you, Sally, for another fantastic show of Out of the Pan. And we're going to go straight to a quick song um, while we try to get a guest on the phone. So we'll jump on that now. Just 
And that was Show Us You Care by Icons of Filth. Um, and you may have noticed from that song, if you, you might have gotten a tip of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so every year in Australia, millions of individuals get used in research and a- animal experiments. And in fact, we don't actually know how many um, animals are used because states are not required to disclose the information or data to the public about um, animal research. Uh, and those who do, which are from what I have found online, Victoria, New South Wales and Tasmania, each use slightly different methods for um, disclosing that information and reporting standards, uh, which makes it hard to get a good picture of what's going on with animal research in Australia and um, particularly across the country. And even in these reports, the animals used are no more than a number on a page. They're not understood as individuals. We don't get to understand the lives that they experience or those um, experiences they don't get to have um, because of their lives in research labs or other places. And this speaks to this industry as a whole, I think, as one that is hidden um, and sort of tries to stop the public seeing in. And this has been the case for, for many decades, um, as, because when we do get a glimpse into these industries, we often find them um, wanting, uh, significantly wanting. Many animals in this system are simply treated as an object of research rather than recognising they are subjects of their own lives who have interests and preferences, chief among them not being used and harmed as a means to human ends. And as we'll hear through today, um, even when they are used to a, for a means to a, um, a human ends, it often results in no benefit to humans at all anyway. An organisation that probably knows more about animal research in Australia than any other is Humane Research Australia. You can find out more about Humane Research Australia at humaneresearch.org.au. And HRA advocates for scientifically valid and humane non-animal methods of research. It was first... um, So a... HRA has been around for quite a long time. The current iteration... The name Humane Research Australia is from around the 2000s, but the organisation has a history back to the 70s and um, a really rich history of advocating for animals in research. And we've had HRA, they're they're a friend of the show, they've been on quite a few times over the last decade, and um, they're always um, working on new projects and on new um, projects advocacy to try and end animal research and um, they're a really important part of the animal advocacy advocacy scene in Australia. Today we're joined by Rachel Smith who's the CEO of HRA and Katrina Larson, a HRA committee member and Katrina's joining us on the phone. Thanks for joining us today, both of you. Thank you so much for having us on today, Adam. And have we got you there on the phone Katrina? Uh, yes, can you hear me? I sure can. I'm going to try and turn you up a little bit, but yep, we have you. Thank you. Um, so first off, I want to just to set the scene and either of you are, um, um, I'm happy for either of you to jump in and tell us about this. Can you tell us what animal research looks like in Australia and who is being used in animal research? 
Is it just, you know, when people think about it, is it just rabbits and mice or is it more than that? What does animal research look like? Yeah, I'm happy to answer that one, Adam. So it's actually very broad. The species that are used is it's broader than people might think. So the most commonly used animals are rats and mice and, and actually fish is also a very increasing number of fish are used. Lots of people are not aware of that, but um, zebrafish in particular are used in medical research, but also rabbits, guinea pigs, farm animals, um, wildlife. It really depends on the on the on the research that's involved. So you may get medical research. You can also have conservation or um, or ecology research, environmental research, and some of that may be um, less invasive that we wouldn't necessarily be opposing if it's observational, um, wildlife related research. But the areas where we're really concerned about is the use of animals in medicine and teaching and. Um, also, Australians may not be aware that primates are still used in Australia, um, baboons, macaques and marmosets, and also dogs and cats. Yeah, and Katrina, did you have anything else to add to that? Uh, no, I think I just covered, covered that very well. Yeah, there's, there's a whole variety of animals and species used in Australia. And, and I will speak just because I do a little bit of conservation research myself, or, or I'm in that world, and certainly a large number of a large amount of that research is um, sort of observational, but there are there are big numbers of animals used in that research um, through um, that end in culling or killing, and also experimentation. So it isn't just the lab setting that we often think about; it's lab and environmental settings and and um, agricultural settings actually as well. There's a huge swathe of research into agricultural farmed animals uh, and how to produce them better, which is a horrible sentence to say, but that's often what happens, isn't it? Yeah, we definitely say that's a neglected area, animal agriculture, in terms of trying to increase productivity and um, also looking in terms of what may be termed as pest control, so um, assessing effectiveness of different baits, which is um, a lethal type of... Um, testing yeah and it can be very um obviously very harmful and painful yeah the baits like 1080 poison yes. which is absolutely um atrocious uh, and causes significant harm to individuals um another another thing that i think this industry and, and you could speak to this if you if you like but um is that it's very hidden it's 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 um locked away and we're not able to actually see into it um very easily mm. uh for instance um, researchers, and I've, I've done this in, in the past, I've submitted work to um, animal ethics committees mm -hmm. um, and it's sort of this process that's meant to check that what you're doing is okay to do and acceptable and all yep. that sort of jazz. Um, and then you get the tick of approval and you go off and do what you want to animals, basically. Um, but we aren't able to see those um, those submissions to ethics committees. We're not able to see, or at least I've, I've not been able to get a hold of, and I don't think it's possible to get a hold mm. of these submissions to ethics committees. So it's hard to understand what actually is happening to animals. Can you, can you give us like, what's a, what's a story, what, what might the life of an animal in a piece of research um, look like? If, if, is there a particular type of research that mm. you could um, just provide a bit of context for what the, the daily daily life of that animal looks like. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it's such a big issue with a lack of transparency. So in terms of the fine detail of project reports or applications or the, the deliberations of animal ethics committees, 
we will attempt to get that information via freedom of information but there is a lot of exemptions that can be applied and we find they are in the majority of cases applied so we will be digging around trying to find information from research publications or going to industry events um, via freedom of information requests where we can and really from those those that information that we can deduce and and, and in some some degree from the research publications which mm. won't always give the level of detail that we re require but it may be a, a starting point uh, an example I would probably say that would be quite relevant would be a, a primate. So in Australia, about, again, we don't have the exact numbers, but approximately 200 of primates are used in research every year. And we have specific breeding colonies for those primates. Um, one is in New South Wales, which is breeding baboons. And in Victoria, um, in Gippsland, um, the macaques and the marmosets are used. And typically, those who are used in um, Victoria are used for kind of um, neurological research. So they may be born in, in breeding that in that facility, um, kept in a in a in a, a cage, and in an outdoor enclosure, and in a quite a restrictive in, environment, and then separated from um, family members to be to used in research, and that might relate to assessing kind of brain functions or their movements or um, um, just, I would say, basic science research rather than applying it to a specific um, disease. And then, unfortunately, a lot of those primates are then um, reused in multiple research across their life. Um, so it's a very um, a difficult life for a social species that's used to being in a family unit to be constantly separated. Um, using invasive research, potentially they can be singly housed in that research and then return to the facility until they, at which point they may then be used for breeding when they've got no no purpose left um, as a research subject. So uh, a really horrendous life, I would say. And you've recently, uh, a few months ago, Humane Research Australia actually created a small animated video um, yes. that I think does a good job. It's very short um, to sort of highlight the um, the existence of research, of, of animal research in Australia. I'm just going to play the clip. Um, I'd encourage you to go and check it out under the videos section on humaneresearch.org.au because the visuals are quite um, quite good at explaining and uh, accompaniment to the to the audio. But let's have a let's have a quick listen. Marty the Marmoset dreams of living in the wild like a regular monkey. But Marty is one of the unlucky ones. He spends his days forced to endure all kinds of invasive procedures. Marty isn't the only one who suffers. In Australia, millions of animals are used in medical research and teaching each year. Those who survive often have their lives cut short. Others are used again and again for years. Most animal research doesn't even translate to humans due to species differences. As science and technology has progressed, there are now better ways to do research that are based on human biology, which means the old way of doing things is no longer the only way. It's time to transition towards scientifically valid non-animal methods of research, because it's better for human health and better for animals. Learn more, humaneresearch.org.au. And it's quite a powerful and very simple message. Mm. This is the thing that I that really because I do a little bit of research in this area as well, and it just shocks me every time I delve into the literature about um, animal research. How how often 
useless it is for the purposes it's being used for in terms of, you know, medical research. It often doesn't result in something usable for humans or translatable. And it, it, the, the video that you've created is so simple and straightforward. Have you had much reaction to it? Has, how's it? how's it gone? Yes, so really it was the intention was to make it quite simple and just to have those messages that animal research is been taking place in, in vast numbers in Australia for those that are not aware and it doesn't have to be to be taken place and there are alternative methods and that they're superior. So we really wanted to bring that to people's attention um, and, and using primates as an example but other species in, in the ad as well. And we had a, we have had a good response. We've had over... 10,000 views on um, um, YouTube, which may not sound um, a great deal, but typically our videos at this stage are around 1,000 views, so really exceeded. And we did some an advertising campaign on SBS to um, to obtain those numbers. Um, but yeah, I would, it, it's a really just getting it out there that this is happening, so people are aware. So and we will continuously reuse it as a tool to inform people. Yeah, it's it's really powerful sort of um, step into yep. this area of, of um, animal use. Katrina, can I ask you? So you're a um, a committee member at HRA. I just want to ask. So what what um, sort of makes you become a committee member, and, and what does that mean? So what are you doing yeah. there at HRA? Sure. Can I just uh, comment just about uh, the video? Yes, and please. What we're talking about um, in regards to research being you know trans. Uh, translatable uh, to humans. Um, yeah. What what I find particularly vexing is this whole um, justification for animal testing based on um, like some, I believe it's false premise, animals are not like us, so it's okay to use them. Yeah. But by the same token, they are like us, and so that's why it's good to use them. I find that a that this, like it's paradoxical. It, yep. it makes no sense. So it's sort of um, y- using those two arguments to, to suit, you know, the um, researchers to, to suit their suit them. And I find that, yeah, as I said, particularly vexing that we we manipulate that uh, to suit ourselves. Um, it's, them being, yeah, it, it's an excellent point, and um, it, it's funny. I've just been reading a book um, by a, a philosopher called Mary Midgley. I'd very much um, encourage any animal folk out there to check out Mary's work. She's excellent. Uh, called Animals and Why They Matter, and that is one of the main points throughout the book. Is that in um, certain parts of of human society, we have we twist ourselves about. To, to separate ourselves from other animals. But it's only through our ability. So, you know, we deny them um, language or communication. We deny them mind. We deny them um, any sort of similarity to ourselves, like you're saying, Katrina. And, and it's actually only through our, our connections and our ability to communicate with animals that we've been able to um, utilise them for thousands of years as... Um, in farming situations, it's our sympathy that we can and our empathy towards them that makes it possible to know how they're feeling and then and then live with them. And in the same way with research animals, this is this is exactly this is exactly happening. It's 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 um, it's a real paradox. This is, <laughs> but it, it absolutely is, um, and it comes up in other areas of um, animal rights slash veganism, of course. Yeah. But um, I, I think it's. Uh, 
yeah, in, in this context, uh, yeah, as, as I said, very frustrating. And do, do you have any um, sense for why? Do you think that it happens in, in this context? Um, because it suits researchers to, to, to say so. Mm. Um, and it gives them that justification in quotation marks to, to do what they do. Yeah. So, like you said, it's a matter of manipulating the the story to suit their ends. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, back to your question about um, being on the committee. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I joined the committee, I think it was October 2020, so two, about two and a half years ago. Um, I have a long history of animal rights activism starting back in 1989 when I joined Animal Liberation in Melbourne. Excellent. And used to go, yes, in the good old days, and used to go on, you know, to do protests in, in Melbourne, um, protests against, for example, uh, Gillette. They were one of our main targets uh, back in the early 1990s. And, uh, yes, yeah, so a long history, uh, both in Australia and Japan, of uh, animal rights activism. And in 2020, um, I was asked by HRA if I would like to join the committee, and um, I did. And it's a, a very robust committee, and uh, we work pretty hard at um, and making sure that we are, are robust and, uh, and we meet all our uh, obligations as a, as a committee. And we meet once every, I think it's once every six weeks, and we meet with Rachel and we often have non uh, we have committee only meetings where uh, we don't have Rachel uh, with us so that we can uh, we can talk about issues that we need to for example uh, financial matters mm. is one example of that yeah yeah so it's a yeah it's a um it's a well organized um, um, organization and i i do i do wonder so one one of the things I think that not necessarily sets HRA apart from other orgs um, and animal advocacy groups, but it it's dealing with such a scientific area and field yeah. that um, I think it needs to come with a very you know it needs to be really super evidence based and yeah. and it needs to play the game basically. So how do you how do you ensure that you're sort of doing that that you're making you're you're coming to the scientists because you know working with scientists they they respect mm. <laughs> they respect people when they've got evidence mm. and if you if you're sort of not scientific then they'll just um sort of brush you off how do you how does hra deal with that sort of yes i mean i'm, I'm glad you've mentioned that because we do pride ourselves on trying to to be and uh, making really concerted effort to be as evidence-based and um factual as we can and so we have a advisory panel with expertise in different areas, including different areas of um, medicine. And we also have a scientific advisor. So before we publish any specific case study, which may be objecting about particular research that was obtained, then we will um, seek expertise on that particular subject. And we'll be, if we're producing reports, for example, we published one um, last year about respiratory research using non-animal methods. We make sure it's peer-reviewed before we publish it. So we, we are quite... Um, focused on that and when we engage with the scientific community we we do we're putting up our points across but we are we are I guess in our mind we are aware of the barriers that they may have in terms of transitioning to non-animal methods because it's not 
just changing them. It's changing the whole network that is mm. around them, the funding, the university structure, the publishing pressures. Um, so we are we make it clear that we're aware of those pressures and we're trying to facilitate change with introducing them to, for example, to companies that can help in, in introducing a non-animal method or providing examples of other publications where they've used a non-animal method that they could apply to their research. So we won't just say you shouldn't be doing this. We'll provide an example. This is what you could be doing. And this is a company that can help you with that. And it, it's interesting to say that you, you mentioned that um, scientists are evidence-based because actually in this area, sometimes it doesn't, it is not always followed that the evidence you provide gets the result that you yeah. want. It can still be resisted. So that in theory, that should be the case. But um, unfortunately, it's not always. Mm. And and I'll just I'll, I'll just dig into that a little bit. Mm. Um, so I think what you mean there is that um, so the evidence shows that actually animal research is is yes. not great. Yeah. And so if scientists were being evidence based, mm. they would probably switch over to um, non animal yep. human based um, research methods, right? Yeah, definitely. It's just a, it's in some cases it's a case of they've always been doing a particular method. That's what they have the equipment for. That's what they have the funding for. If you were to ask them the question. Could you do this in a research another way? They probably, in all honesty, can say, no, I can't, and get through the Animal Ethics Committee. But could that research be conducted in another way to answer the question that they're looking at investigating? Perhaps someone else can. If they had the support, perhaps they could. But it's mm. at the moment the system is just you put forward your application, you can give a very um, concise explanation as to if you've considered alternatives and you felt that they're, they're not suitable but it's not really looking at the whole field and, and whether that expertise is available elsewhere. Yep, yep. And, um, and there's this in, in academia, like in any, any industry, there's this um, lock-in, I mm. think, and this tradition. So you can tell a, a research lab based on the types of um, experimental protocols that they use because they've had them for mm -hmm. years, if not decades, and they are sort of handed down from, from academic to academic to student. Um, and they sort of, there's this traditions of research um, labs. And so when you're so locked into certain ways of working, it's very hard to, to break out and think about different ways of thinking. And in fact, yeah. They may be so trained in certain, you know, quote unquote models, animal models, mm. that they don't actually have the the understanding or the knowledge to actually work on human models as exactly, clearly yeah. as they would. So you could, yeah, you could ask a researcher that's always used mice and cancer research. Could you do this research elsewhere? And that was that asked at the New South Wales Inquiry, and the researcher's response is no. We would have to do it overseas if we couldn't do that. But actually, there's multiple other ways that cancer research can be done without animals. It's a case of that particular researcher doesn't know how to do it or have the resources or expertise. And so their research may have to come to an end, but doesn't mean that developments in cancer research globally has to come to an end and we've got no progress. In fact, we would suggest the opposite. Mm, yes, and that's the idea that there's so much wasted money going into these um, inefficient and ineffective animal research that could be transition to mm. human-based research and human models. And this isn't for those who are listening. This isn't that we'd be, you know, sticking humans in labs and doing the same things to them that we do to animals. We could, there's, there's, um, uh, and we might talk about this, there's models and methods to use human cells and human organs and things like that for research um, that don't involve inhumane practice. Um, yes, it's, uh, it's an interesting world. It's an interesting, mm. but it's so sort of, um, steeped in, well, we know what's right 
and it seems very hard to change. But after the break, we'll have a quick um, song break and then I'd love to hear from both of you what HRA are doing, what campaigns you're working on to sort of um, support that change. Uh, it's really important work and I think um, it's one of the harder spaces in animal activism, but uh, you, you folks are doing a good job, I think. So we're going to go to a song by Michael Jackson in his early days um, called Ben. And I only recently mm. discovered this song and it's actually about a, um, a relationship with a rat called Ben. Melbourne, I found a Food Not Bombs flyer on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favourite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. 
I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You're listening to Freedom of Species and I'm speaking with Rachel Smith, CEO of Humane Research Australia and Katrina Larson, a Humane Research Australia committee member. And Katrina, I was just wondering, what are the campaigns that um, Humane Research Australia are working on at the moment? The, the ones that come to your mind that you find really important and you're um, proud of as a committee member? Thank you. Um, well, there's uh, quite a few. For example, there's the Forced to Smoke uh, campaign. So uh, this involves um, forcing mice uh, to, to, to inhale smoke. Uh, and this uh, is a, a method that researchers claim um, is, is a way to to um, assess respiratory diseases. Uh, there's the... Um, Sorry, can we, can we just stick on that one just for a moment? And it's, it's one of these examples mm. where... It, Yes, I, I hear that, forced to smoke, and I wonder, what are we gaining from that? Because so, so I mean, I mean, imagine this stuff was done for tobacco, smoke and whatnot, and is that what it's doing it for? Is it different types of smoke to see what um, other mm. forms of um, smoke are bad for respiratory mm. problems? Because don't we know that yeah. you know, smoking is bad? It's right. also well. It's it's predominantly cigarette smoke, and also um, recent research has also been um, kind of bushfire smoke to assess, mm. which is really quite sad. As if you think about it, all the animals that died in yeah. the bushfires, and then further animals dying um, to investigate the impact. When I think it's quite clear, but in terms <laughs> of the cigarette smoke, um, it's not to see whether cigarettes are good or bad. It's to try and induce conditions that are cause in some cases by cigarette smoke and then so for example COPD or asthma or different conditions and then they will be um, trying different therapeutics once that animal has some of the symptoms and not going to replicate the human symptoms at all but um, they will try and replicate uh, some of those symptoms and then try and address it with different therapeutics or find out more about the mechanisms of that disease but again we have a whole report on this about the inaccuracies um between um, mice and humans in, in respiratory research. So there are many other methods they could use, lung on a chip, and mm. even lung on a chip now that's integrated to a smoking machine. There's very sophisticated methods that could be used in, in place of that. So it's not only very, very cruel and causing beyond the the, 
the mice suffering in that process and being killed at the end of the research that some of them die they get stuck in the tubes that they're in and they asphyxiate in there or they've been dropped during the handling or they get pneumonia because they um, urinate while they're in there and then they're left in there so it's really one of the, the cruelest types of research you can imagine yeah sorry katrina thank, thanks for sorry to butt in katrina no, that was good um no rachel you're far more across these campaigns than i am so i'm happy for you to take that away yeah. So what was the other... Um, you were about to go on to another campaign, Katrina, so... Um, I might talk about the right to release. Um, mm. Yeah, so as, as we know, um, a, a lot of dogs and cats are killed at the end of uh, their use, in quotation marks, as uh, research tools. And, of course, we believe that they should have the right uh, to be released and to find forever homes. So... Uh, HRA works with uh, Beagle Freedom Australia and the AJP uh, mm. to try and implement uh, legislation to allow this. And you mentioned uh, before, you used the word proud. So um, as a delegate of the AJP, I guess um, that makes me a little bit proud. Oh, good. Uh, and to be able AJP, to have... do you mean Animal Justice Party? Oh, sorry. Yes, yes of course. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, all these initialisms. Uh, yes, the Animal Justice Party. Yep. So um, I... I I personally um, feel it encourages me that these two organisations that are close to my heart uh, can work together. Yeah, it's absolutely. Such important work. Yes. And that that one that um, freedom. Uh, uh, so right you, to release. Right to release. Yeah. So can you can you tell us a little bit about maybe Rachel? Um, where cats and dogs are being used mm. in research. I think a lot of people would be surprised by that. Yes, and again, unfortunately, it's one of the areas where there's very limited transparency. We're constantly asking the different state regulators for um, at least the names of the license holders that are using dogs and cats, um, and that information isn't provided. And those, anim those groups that um, rescue the animals and rehome them, they're not allowed to share the information where they're sourced from. But from the information we've established from previous case studies, it appears to be some veterinary research. Um, some of it's been for surgical training. Some of it has been um, testing of drugs. Um, so uh, quite a, and then it, for, for uh, sorry, cats, it seems to be a lot of kind of re related to um, hearing and um, sight. And I think greyhounds have been used in terms of um, kind of heart research and dental research in the past. So whether mm. that's, the exact situation now, I can't speak to, but um, from the information we have been able to deduce, it's a bit of a, a bit of a mixture. Yeah, and I did. I always did. Um, yeah, I heard that greyhounds are used quite often, or have been in the past, mm. um, in veterinary training because there is a, and there's going to be a lot of quotes on quotes here, a surplus yes. of greyhounds because of the atrocious greyhound racing industry. Yes, um, and they'll often just ship these poor dogs into veterinary. Um, training facilities yeah. where then they'll be used um, for... Exactly, yes, or as a um, kind of blood bank donor. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's a really rough topic, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, so, and Rachel, uh, do you have any campaigns that you're particularly um, interested in sharing with the um, listeners? Um, well, I'm very passionate about all of them, but I would say there's a couple that really... It kind of relates to the discussions we've been having today, which really they have an impact on all our work. 
and it's really our overall mission. So they are trying to increase transparency and trying to redirect funding into non-animal methods. So we have a campaign, I'm Not a Lab, lab Tool, which is focused on redirecting that funding to non-animal methods. It's a great and, name, um, I'm, I'm Not a Lab Tool. Yes, yeah, yeah. and re- really reiterating that they shouldn't be used. So I think those ones just overarching, they they relate to everything that we're doing really. So I'm very proud of those. And I. I should add, we're, as well as being a campaign organisation, we are also, I would say, a resource and we engage. So we'll be having a lot of outreach at events. We'll be presenting at scientific conferences. We have resources for the media. We get information out there, case studies about um, research that's taking place, both animal and non-animal. Um, we'll um, give public talks or we'll speak, go to events and speak about what we're doing. So really that outreach and information I think is is really important because it's such a misunderstood um, area so we we have a podcast we'll interview people on a range of different areas um, the most recent one was about um, non-animal derived medical products so just having a central resource where people can get information that's accurate on on this issue or members of animal ethics committees or researchers as well can obtain our information so being that font of information I think is really important as well. Mm, so quite a quite a few hats there. Yeah, I, I imagine yeah. like the collation of all of this um, this research and and resources takes quite a lot of time, and especially because yes. it's it's you know research is forever being produced. Yeah, that will support and continue to support, and it's good to bring that together and whatnot. And yeah. then also the campaigns that you're running, which are I mean. It, it sounds like quite um, involved campaigns yes. that that, that are, 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 with all animal animal campaigns take a very long time to see to see um, the fruits of yes. your labours. Yeah. Um, how can how can people support HRA? Like, what is it what is it that people can do? Um, whether they yeah, what what are the ways that they could support, mm. and how how might they do that? Yeah, Bob. Oh, oh, sorry. Let, maybe Katrina, do you, do you want to answer? Yeah. Can I, I'll speak to that and Rachel, if I miss anything, you can fill in the gaps. Um, yeah, so of course, we'd love to have more people following us on our socials, so on Facebook and Instagram, and also we're on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, we, are we, we're not on Twitter, are we, Rachel? We are, yes, we do. Yep. Oh, okay. Twitter, Instagram. So, on Twitter. so if you just do a Humane Research Australia search, uh, we will come up on those uh uh, on those uh, social, and um, well, I guess we'd love to have more members. And I always think when it comes to members, it's not just about having more members for the sake of of having members. We'd like to have more members who become engaged in our work. Mm. So um, who who take our calls for actions, like I don't know, maybe signing a petition or. Uh, writing to ministers about their concerns, but just getting active with us in in any way they can. Uh, And membership is only $33 a year, so we'd love to see uh, an increase in our membership. Um, And also I find find that we're not as, um, how can I say, well-known as Mm. I'd like us to be amongst I mean, amongst the public in general, but particularly in the animal rights slash um, vegan circles, I feel we don't have the exposure that uh, other organisations have. And I'm not really sure why, but uh, I would love for us to to have more exposure in those circles and for for people to join us. Um, And I guess more engagement on our social media posts would be 
be, be appreciated. And, uh, yeah, more um, we need to always be focusing on our fundraising efforts. And, uh, I mean, one of our main um, sources of income does come from beneficiaries. So that is uh, something we're really grateful for, to have that support uh, from our from the public and from from our members. Yeah, I think I think you're right as as well, Katrina. That for for an organisation um, that's been around for as long mm. as it has, it's pro- I mean it's probably one of the lo- the longest running animal mm. advocacy groups in Australia. Yeah. I would imagine uh, um, okay. if the history is started in a diff- with a different name in 1979. That's old. That's, that's like. Yeah. Right when animal rights is really kicking off, or animal animal ethics discussions mm. around animal ethics are really kicking off. Um, Absolutely, I mean that was back in the days when Peter Singer and and Paddy Mark and Christine Townend were, you know, coming to the to the front in these in in the whole animal rights movement and raising these issues. So yes, we've been around a long time, but um, I, I do feel there is a little bit of a lack of knowledge about about who we are mm. and uh, and you know as a committee we and as an organization we will be having discussions about that and uh, about our name and and all and all of that that's all to, all to come yep yep um, yeah, they're all really good points. So you'll definitely have one more member. I'm, I'm, oh, I'll good. be joining up <laughs> after this. That sounds fantastic. And the other thing that I think um, HRA does well, along with other orgs, um, is you're sort of in like a, a prime position to be putting in when when governments have their um, inquiries and yeah. have their um, have your say things. Yeah. You've got the expertise, you've got the knowledge and the people to be able to be putting in um, responses. And members, I imagine, and others out there, that's often a way to support as well, to to make sure that in those um, processes, government are hearing a strong voice from um, advocates for animals. Yep, definitely. We we are across a lot of those and there seems to be quite a few recently because most of the states and territories in the last couple of years are reviewing their legislation and then we had the... New South Wales inquiry into the use of primates and other animals in research, quite a mouthful, but that was um, uh, a a big priority for us last year. So really with members of the public, I think it's also a good idea to sign up to our e-news because if you sign up to our e-news, you receive that once a month. It will provide information on what our latest campaigns are. It will take you to any actions that we have, if we're having any events that you can come along to, if we need volunteers. So if you're not so active on social media or you, you might miss our posts, and get if you subscribe to the e-news, you'll be sure to get all the main kind of highlights once a month. So that's another recommendation that, that I would say um, to be across what's happening and really just our resources are all there. We have information about the type of research that's been conducted, a map of the research institutions, examples of um, recent publications, pap- uh, papers that are refuting animal experimentation. So... I really hope that people can use that information in talking to their own networks about animal experimentation and why that they oppose it because we want it to be used. And and for those who, uh, you know, um, I, I imagine a lot of our listeners care about all animals mm. um, and they they might focus on farmed animal um, advocacy. I would I would I would say to you that research is implicitly supporting farmed animal. Um, farmed animal use. Yes. Farmed animal use 
only occurs and occurs at such large scales mm. because of the research that's done to it. These things are hand in hand. They are in, they're industries that work so tightly together. Yeah. So, you know, I've had colleagues that work on, um, <laughs> they, yeah, it, they, they work on like the ethics of, um, of wealth or sorry, sheep welfare in um, uh, exports yeah. in, on, yeah. on live export boats. Yeah. And how to stop how to stop fly strike or, or something yeah. like that, or in chickens, how to get chickens to grow faster yeah. and or produce more. Yeah. And all of these industries are pouring money into re- agri- agricultural research. Agricultural yeah. research is one of the biggest arms of the um, the animal research industry. So if you're if you're advocating against animal use in farms, then you Absolutely. One of the really strong things you can do is also start to advocate and be active against um, animal research and animal experimentation because animal welfare science is propped up by mm. animal agriculture. They yeah. are, they are, they're basically one and the same, yeah. <laughs> largely. So, um, yeah, very strongly advocate people to... Um, Learn more about this this area of animal exploitation and and what it means for animals and how we can push it forward. It seemed like it was a sort of in the nineties and certainly in the UK it was a much there was a much stronger um, sort of um, advocacy movement against research. Yes. Do you have Absolutely. any thoughts? Yeah, and, and maybe Katrina, because of your long history in this space, do you have I, any I thoughts on this? I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I and I think that. A lot of people, at least in Australia, think this doesn't happen anymore. Mm. They think I think there's a, a feeling that oh, that ha- used to happen, but we don't do that anymore, or it's it's far more limited than than it actually is. And uh, but but it does. We know it does, and that's why we're here. Um, but I, I do. I totally agree with uh, with you. And if I could just go back to something else, Adam. Um, mm. Rachel was just talking about the New South Wales inquiry. Um, I just would like to say that Rachel performed so well in that inquiry under incredible pressure. And uh, if anybody would ever like to know why she's our CEO, they only need to take a look at her performance in that inquiry to see why she is in that position. She was just fantastic. I imagine they, really, they were quite really thrilling, were they? It was firing. It was It was really hard to watch her, but <laughs> she did such a fantastic job. And so um, I just kudos to, to Rachel for that. Yeah, and, Thank yeah. you, Katrina. Yeah, for, for any listeners, as I said, it was an inquiry and we were invited to give evidence, but it was a cross-party inquiry, but other than really to some degree Greens and AJP, the other parties already had a fixed position at the beginning of the inquiry and... So the line of questioning was in sometimes just re- trying to waste the time, mm. ask any relevant questions or really trying to trick you into saying certain responses or not focusing on the terms of reference of the inquiry or trying to... The inquiry was really focused on specific areas of trying to improve the re- regulatory structure or different things, not whether animal experimentation would be banned or not, but the line of questioning was very much, would you accept... Con- animal research under this condition or would you accept mm. this one or this one and it's it's not um, trying to progress um, the recommendations that we made which I think were um, 
also recommendations that actually those who are in support of animal research would also be in agreement with in terms of having a national centre to advocate for alternative methods and validation and, and um, funding towards those methods or having more inspectors to um, assess the um, facilities. So it was actually, um, yeah, a, a very informative experience, but um, really gave us an insight into um, the need. We have a, a need to do a lot more work on legal reform, and that's one of the projects we have as a priority. We had a legal consultant prepare a strategy and a range of toolkits for us to really push information on to really dispel this myth that there is a strong system in place. We have a three-hour framework. Animals <laughs> only use when they need to, all those lines that we keep hearing. And we really have a now a great toolkit that we can use to lobby um, stakeholders and including MPs about why that isn't the case and what needs to happen in its place. Mm. And just on that, so you, you've mentioned it a couple of times, in late 2021, the New South Wales mm. government established an inquiry into the use of primates and other animals in medical research in New South Wales. And they had a report come out end of yep. last year with some um, uh, recommendations, mm -hmm. um, suggestions. And the government only just recently responded yep. to that, right? About a month ago. Yep. Um, can you just speak to that response, the government's response and how that all played yes. out? Yes. So the report that came out, we were fairly supportive of I think it captured the positions that were put forward we weren't it wasn't entirely our, our positions but bearing in mind the points that were put forward that we were they were quite progressive in terms of um, transparency having a, a recommendation for a funding center in 3R for non-animal methods um, and most important one from our perspective was and and the first recommendation from the report was to have a for the government to really investigate and commit to a ban on the use of um inhalation, nose-only inhalation research, which Katrina mentioned earlier, and also the four-swim test, which is another very abhorrent test. And the report from the government's response really was very disappointing. They really have ignored most of the recommendations, noted a couple, but committed no concrete action other than perhaps to report on the breakdown of animal versus non-animal methods. And there was really an opportunity they could have had push for reform of the code, outlawing those particularly cruel tests, having more funding for alternatives, making New South Wales really a leader. But it was very disappointing to, to see their, their response. So it means a lot more work on our part to, to push for this, the agenda that we have. Well, do you think that will um, that might change with a different government in because we've got the New South Wales? But you did say that both governments, yeah. are, both sides of the uh, government were sort of like... Yeah, they were both... Um, pretty bad quite happy to maintain the status quo was the sense mm. that I got and from reading the report. Um, but there is things from it that we will definitely take on board to action. For example, the forced swim test and forced inhalation, it's now a case of that a regulatory body will review that annually. So when that comes up to it, we're pushing for them every year to reiterate that this was the recommendation of the committee and, and we're informing the funders of that research and other stakeholders that that was the recommendation. Even though it wasn't adhered to, we can still use that um, those recommendations to push for change. We are basically out of time. It's been a, <laughs> we've covered a lot of ground, and you folks have been doing a, a lot of a lot of great work. And so I'd say to those listening, if you um, definitely go and check out humaneresearch.org.au and um, sign up for the e, e newsletter. Absolutely. Um, Follow, follow them on all of the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. 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 Yep. Um, and 
join up as a member if this is something that um, that you're passionate about. And certainly, it's another aspect of animal use in our in our and animal exploitation in our um, society that really needs to be tackled. And that we're we're so so lucky to have an organisation like Humane Research Australia working on behalf of animals in this way. Um, just really quickly before we go, um, Katrina or Rachel. Do you have, in, in 30, 30 seconds or a minute, do you have anything that you've seen change over the last few decades in this space? Do you, what keeps you hopeful? I would say the interactions with universities, they're now sometimes proactively contacting us to partner with us on non-animal methods. And that's not something I'd expected even two or three years ago, which is starting to happen. So I think at a, some attitudes, it's not everyone's, but some people are really standing up and pushing for, for change um, at an academic and research institution. And that's that's really positive to see from, from my perspective. I'm not sure if Katrina has anything to add. Um, I think for me, it's just in my everyday life when I see a lot of uh, everyday products labelled as not animals and cruelty-free. Mm. That's really encouraging because back in the day, you know, you'd have to really go and seek that information and those products. But it's far more accessible now. So a very everyday example, not really from a committee member's point of view, but uh, just for some, from somebody who, who cares about animals. Yeah, Thank, thanks so much for your for your time and for sharing what HRA's been up to in recent years. Really appreciate it. And for all those listening, you can um, get in contact with us at info at org or via Facebook or Twitter at Foz Radio, and we'll be on every Sunday, as we always are, 1 to 2 p.m., uh, tune in 855 in Melbourne, or we're stri uh, stream live via the 3CR website, or you can catch us on pod podcast. Um, stay tuned for rotations, and I'll just go out on a song that I always find an excuse to play, because it's one of my favourites, and it is absolutely about a terrible case of um, animal experimentation. This is... Will Wagner's Leica. I'm here in my cage See them make plans Hear them reassure investors Shake presidents' hands The men with machines Put tubes into me they measure my vital signs, my flight trajectory They taught me to sit, taught me to lie down Told me that a thousand years of wandering would end now And they fed me my last meal was the same as my first From here in my cage I watched the man work And now it's a flurry Of lab coats and hurry they talk about budgets and taxpayers' money And I wag my tail And I'll be a good girl They forget
got to walk me this morning They were too busy changing the world And I'm out from my cage And I'm trying to be brave But the men, they are sweating And now they're injecting And as I awake I'm shocked and amazed at the sheer crushing empty And I look down on man's little earth Sitting there quietly wondering what it's worth And I drift away that's okay, there's more room to play out here. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.